Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode to our podcast, Cloudology, where we discuss uh, technology trends that have some meaning and relevance for the Middle East. My name is Andy Frommel, and I'm your host. Today, we have a very interesting guest, Dr. Stephen Hunt, who is an industrial organizational psychologist, and he has a very broad experience in a human resource area. And we will talk about how work is changing and how companies need to react, not just under the umbrella of COVID-19, but in general. Dr. Stephen Hunt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. And please just call me Steve. Steve. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Steve. So, Steve, let me let me start first of all with your with your title. I mean, if we look you up on LinkedIn, uh, you have a very interesting and unique title. Uh, you are you called as a chief expert for work and technology. So, what does it mean, and what is your job um, uh, meaning, and what are you doing? Yeah, I kind of laugh at my title a little bit because um, you have to like explain it. I have to I have to take a breath before I explain what I actually do. It's kind of complicated. But if you look at my background. I am an industrial organizational psychologist, which if you're not familiar with that field, it's not clinical psychology. It's the psychology of work, understanding how do you create effective work environments, build effective workforces, make good decisions about people, create more supportive cultures, all the things about the behavior of employees and decisions about employees that affect performance of organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think the easiest way to explain what I do is to give a little history about how I got to this title of chief expert for working technology. I wasn't always a chief expert. For sure not, yeah. When I, it started out that I got, I've always had an interest in technology as technology is a way to take all this knowledge we have about psychology because we know so much about what makes people effective and you know what makes people engaged and motivated, but a lot of this knowledge is never used. And the reason it's not used, it's in like the Journal of Applied Psychology or the International Journal of Selection and Assessment that nobody in business ever reads. And so technology is a way of taking that knowledge that we have about people and getting that into the hands of managers and employees so they can actually use it. I, I sometimes joke that what HR technology is doing for the field of, of psychology is kind of like what, you know, GPS and smartphones did for maps. It took knowledge mm -hmm. we had that no one ever used, you know, back when you said paper maps, and basically has put it in the hands of people in a way that they can use it effectively. So I've always had this draw to technology as a way to sort of share knowledge to create more effective organizations. But my role specifically in SAP goes back to when I was originally hired for Success Factors, which was a company that was acquired by SAP that specializes yeah. in building technology to create more effective workforces. And I was hired into Success Factors originally because we're a cloud technology company. And we started out as a cloud technology company. And if you're a cloud technology company, one of the big things of our business model is renewals. If customers don't get a lot of value from your solutions, they don't renew them and they don't buy them and bad things happen. And the company very early on, I joined Success Factors and it was pretty small. Very early on, they had the realization that there were very big differences in customers in terms of the value they were getting from the technology. Some customers were saying, wow, we are creating better conversations, better decisions, more engagement. And other customers were like, yeah, we automated a lousy process and now we do bad things quickly. And <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of a joke, but actually it's a pretty accurate description. So this is a big, this is a big business issue because you know more value, more renewals, but it's a challenging technology issue because we're cloud technology, everyone has access to the same stuff. 
it's kind of like your phone, right? You know, I may have different apps on my phone, but I but we both have access to the same apps. We can configure it differently, but there's nothing one customer could do that another customer couldn't duplicate. So clearly the issue wasn't the technology. The issue was how companies were using it. And that's what I was brought in to look at. How do you use technology to create more effective cultures, to make better decisions about people? And my work focuses on the intersection of technology, psychology and employee behavior, work psychology and business performance. And so that's what a chief expert does. I look at that intersection of both, how do we use technology, technology and yeah, better environments, but also how technology is changing the work environments we need to create. So I look at both of those things. So very long answer to your short question, but. Yeah, I mean, this, this is, uh, I think, uh, um, very relevant and very important function. Not, I mean, you come from the HR uh, background, but you can take it to any other uh, uh, aspect if it's not relevant for the end user or if it doesn't really make, as you said, not just a bad process quicker, it should make a bad process better mm -hmm. and for sure quicker uh, to uh, make better decisions when, you, when you're hiring people or when you do the assessment. Um, okay, so um, now if we put us into the into the bigger picture and uh, if we look into any bigger picture today it is it is impacted and influenced by this pandemic covid-19 and which definitely has an, um, an 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 impact to anything we know today or everything around the world for sure the work but if we would put it aside as this maybe as a second aspect of the discussion so if we would not have covid today and we use this as a second uh, discussion point what has already changed or what is changing anyway in the, in the, in the context of the world of work uh, besides COVID? Yeah, well, I think what COVID really, and a lot of people that study this like myself, COVID basically fa pressed fast forward on a lot of things that were already happening. It just accelerated them very much. So like the move to remote work, companies were already increasingly becoming more and more remote because if you think about it, we don't pay people for where they sit. We pay people for what they do. And this mentality that we all have to sit together to work together is both wrong. Employees don't like it. It's inefficient. The only people that liked it were sort of leaders that sort of said, I like everyone to be around me. And even often those leaders were never in the office anyhow. But, um, you know, so like the move to things like from remote work, stuff like that, we're already happy and they just got accelerated. But if you said, how is the world of work changing in general? There's one big mega theme that's affecting every company industry around the world, and it is digitalization, which, you know, was a big hot buzzword of term a few years ago, but it hasn't gone away. It's only increased. And what technology and digitalization does more than anything else is it accelerates the pace of change and makes the world more interconnected. And so what this means is companies used to focus heavily on managing for productivity. That is, how can we be as productive as possible? But productivity comes from when you're doing the same thing over and over again. Employees are most productive when they're doing the same thing over and over again. But in a world that's constantly changing, whatever yeah. your company's doing right now, it's not the right thing to be doing four years from now. Something is going to happen in your industry, in your economy, you know, in your market that is gonna force you to significantly rethink how you go to work. And I don't care what industry a company's in. That's just the it nature. It could be counterproductive, right? It could be even a, a maybe a danger or a problem if people get used to it and they say, no, we have done this uh, always the same way. Why we should change something? Well, yeah, and you see this. You see companies disappear very quickly. You see other companies that uh, capitalize on these opportunities. You know, I always joke Uber as an example, a company that was, you know, 
a few guys with an access to the internet and suddenly it's this massive industry, right? And so what this means is the way the world of work is changing is kind of a few things. First of all, we need to manage people to be adaptable as opposed to be productive. Now, mm. this gets into one of the biggest myths about people. There's a myth that people fear change. That is not true. People are actually wired for change. The competitive niche of humans as a species is our ability to adapt to changing environments. It's called learning. It's what we're born to do. Somebody once asked me, how do you teach employees to be adaptable? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. We're born adaptable. You know, Children, when they're born, all, the only thing they know how to do is eat, poop, and learn. And they're amazingly good at all three things. <laughs> but, um, but if you look at it, if you, I don't know if you have kids or not, but you know, we don't teach kids to learn. They don't need to teach them how to walk. They just were wired for it. And the, the issue is though, that historically with work, we would say, well, you're gonna learn till you're about 22, then you're gonna get a job and do the same thing over and over to be productive. So companies didn't want people to learn they, because we're going back to what I said, we're most productive when we're doing stuff we already know how to do. Yeah. So the way you manage for adaptability versus the way you manage for productivity is very different. And companies, we still need to be productive. I'm not saying that's going away, but there's a much more of an emphasis on adaptability which gets to how the world works is changing, but I'll take a breath here and let you ask another question, but then I'll dive more into um, how do you manage for adaptability? Because that's how the world of work is changing. Yeah, and this is, an, uh, I, I can see this uh, when I look to my team and to the, the teams that I'm involved in, you have the younger generation and you have the a bit of an older generation, so the, the mid thirties or forties, and you definitely see, or I personally see, there's a difference in in uh, in the flexibility. And so, for example, here in the Middle East, it is almost sometimes uh, seen as a negative in your CV if you work for one company longer than for four years, for example. And the younger generation, they I think they embrace this as a natural uh, thing, and it's even and an, they see it as a big advantage, and they, they like it to to change and uh, and to learn compared to the older generation, they have a bigger problem. For sure, the older you get, you don't want to do big changes in your job and you try to stay in your comfort zone. But uh, there's a big uh, opportunity, but also a challenge for, for, for companies if you do this in the right or in the wrong way, because you need to mix the skills and you need people that have a, a bit of more um, uh, experience in an area but you need also the, the young blood. You mentioned this example of Uber and um, when we when we talk about today's world, um, the speed of change, the complexity, the vulnerability, the ambiguity is growing beside any COVID uh, pandemic. And the company is always in a better position if you know and if you can adapt quickly. And COVID has shown companies who can adapt quickly or have lean systems and, and infrastructure, they can survive or they may even, even, even strive. And it always starts with the employees. Yeah, well, you've had a couple. The one thing I want to hit on that's really important, which is another huge myth, is that older people don't learn as well as young people. That's an app that is incredible. One, as you get older, you get more concerned with this. The older you get, the more sensitive you become to ageism. <laughs> as you gain experience, you realize ageism is a real problem. But no, it yeah. really is a problem because another big meta trend that I didn't talk about in digitalization is that we're living longer and having fewer children. So people are working much longer than they used to and companies need people to work much longer than they used to. And the issue is that 
it's not that like older people don't want to learn and all the stuff about millennials being different from baby boomers is wrong. The really good research, which is not we 20, I mean, we interviewed 220 somethings last week because it's very hard to study generational differences because you have to control for the labor market, technology, their life stage, you know, whether or not they have kids, things like that, that have a very significant impact on your attitude towards work and change. There is research that's done this going back in some cases to, you know, asking people in their twenties during the World War I generation. I mean, going back for every year, going back to like 1920. And what they found is in psychology for the most part, people don't change. The year you were born does not have a big impact on your psychology and how you act. What does is the things you experience between when you were born and now. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, people's attitudes change. So if you look at like the, um, the attitudes of younger workers, why are they different than older workers? Well, a lot of it is because they don't have a sense of the past. So you see this in gender equity is a really good example. Older workers might say, well, we don't have gender equity in the company, but it's better than it used to be. But if you're a younger employee coming in, you're like, you don't have gender equity. What's wrong with you? There's no exactly. to be. They're like, this just isn't right. And so I think younger employees understandably tend to be less tolerant of ineffective, outdated work practices, um, which I think is a good thing. But it's not that younger employees are better at learning or stuff. They just have different experiences. And that's what's interesting, too, is gets to the next big thing about how work is changing. Given that we need to manage for adaptability and we need to we basically we need to employ people to do what humans are really uniquely good at, which is being creative, figuring out what problems need to be solved, not solving problems, even figuring out a machine can't figure out what problem needs to be solved. Once you identify the problem and stuff, yeah, you can leverage machine learning and artificial intelligence and all that stuff. But you but but which people never wake up in the morning and go, oh, I should go look at this, right? It, it, so it can't be creative. It can't be incredibly, you know, in a very large sense. Also, machines can never be caring. Technology can never care for you. Only a human can care for another human. Um, it cannot be highly collaborative and flexible. People are like amazingly flexible. It goes back to that. They're the only resource a company has that you can literally say, don't do that, do this. And they can change on a dime. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be good at it or like it, but they can do it. There's no other resource that can change faster than people. Yeah. And so the question is, though, how do you create the environment where people effectively are creative? They are collaborative. They are empathetic and caring. And this is why there's been a huge move to what in SAP we call human experience management, where the goal of managing a workforce, it used to focus very much on kind of control and process. We're going to like find candidates and process them in and hire them and dictate goals to them. But it was very sort of controlled and very organizational centric about the process. What has shifted is now we have to focus on the experience people are having. So for example, one of the things that we know to have an agile company is employees need to understand the sense of what it is they're supposed to accomplish for the company. If the company's goals change, people need to understand how their goals change. But the issue is people, and there's a lot of research on this, we want to know what we're working for. We want to have goals. It's one of the most common complaints of employees that I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing or why it matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we also don't like to be told what to do. 
<laughs> sure, yeah. This so, is the this is the uh, the the challenge. Um, you you need to give them space, but you need to give them also direction, right? So they, you want to give them some area where they can play in certain boundaries, and they need to understand why they should do this in the bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where we're using technology, but also to allow employees and managers to have better conversations where it's not a manager telling employees what to do. It's employees and managers coming together and collaboratively to think about what needs to get done. Because employees want to have a sense of purpose, but it's moving to the experience that when we have employees show up to work each day, we want them to say, I get to come to work to do these things that mean something to me, as opposed to, I have to come to work to do something for somebody else that they want me to do. Right. Yeah. Same outcome, but how you approach it, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a different way of looking at it. And when we want people to be fully engaged, fully creative, they you have to manage them this way. You have to, you know, and this is the stuff that we really saw, like, like a really great example of where we've seen companies realize the power of managing focused on experience instead of sort of command and control has been this move to remote work. I'll give you, know, like, think about it. Imagine if you'd gone to like the CEO of a company in February last, you know, at the beginning of the year and said, I think we should take our entire professional workforce and we should move them to 100% remote work and we should do it in two weeks. Imagine if you'd gone to the head of SAP, Andy, and suggested that in February, how they would have reacted to you. They would have think, you're crazy. You're insane. We can't do that. People will hate it. Da, 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 da. Thousands. They would have sent me to the doctor, yeah, most likely. Yeah. People hate change. It'll fall apart. Thousands of companies did exactly that. And things did not fall apart. A matter of fact, what's been fascinating is, for the most part, employees are more engaged than they've ever been before. This is research on this. The highest engagement levels. Also, with fascinating is, and the highest stress levels because of all the stuff that's going on. So yeah, we're stressed, but we're excited too. And that's like, and, and, and it's yeah. like, well, how do we do this? Because when companies made this change, they focused on the experience employees were having. I, I talked to hundreds of HR leaders all the time and they go, the stuff we're doing now that we weren't doing before, that we should have always been doing is first of all, we're fully leveraging the technology we've got. We had technology to do remote work, but we didn't use it. We didn't really challenge ourselves to get the full value from it. The second thing is, and, and we're really focusing to make sure employees have the technology they need to be effective. They put a lot of attention on, you know, do you have good band speed, internet speed, things like that. The second thing they're focusing on is they are communicating to employees why they need to change. So there's a purpose to the change and people understand it. And plus, and then the third, though, that I think is the biggest and most important is they are really listening to employees and really talking and caring for employees. We are, we, we, we have said it is okay to have a life outside of work because now we're actually working at our home and employees across the board are saying, my company is finally treating me like a human, like yes. a person that has kids. And it's okay to have kids, you know, as opposed to before it's like, oh, don't talk about non-work stuff at work, pretend like it doesn't exist. And this, so people feel this sense of, I have the tools I need to make this change. I understand the reason for the change. And I feel the people I'm doing with this care for me and we're in this together. It's amazing how much change people can deal with. And that's- I Yeah, think and you, 
you're hitting in a very important uh, or re relevant point. I mean, if I look to my my team and we see this in many other areas as well, the, we have now regular virtual coffee corners where you just give employees the ability to 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 connect. And whether I as a manager be there or not, it doesn't make uh, a, a big difference. But just to get, to make sure that uh, they have the platforms and they have the space to do this, and not just to say you have to work from eight to seven or from nine to five. Um, and uh, the experience, um, uh, definitely, and you also hit on this uh, to listen and uh, and to care. I mean, we, we in SAP, we have done this now a couple of times, the, the pulse checks where we use a certain technology to really understand how people feel. For sure, also under the co under the context of the of the pandemic, what is the stress level? What is the level of anxiety or whatever? And then to offer them tools much more proactive um, than than before, because now we know if they if they don't perform at home and we can't see them every day, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the key thing too is that we met. What happens in remote work is you've got to be a much better manager because you really have to be very clear about setting goals, understanding this, and there's research that's come out in the last year that says the manager in this more fast changing world, whether remote or not, plays a really, really critical role. Because it goes back to that thing I said, technology can't care for people. And um, as one customer said, it used to be with managers, we didn't really think, you know, we'd hire people, but we didn't really care if they were good at coaching or not. We, we made them managers for things that had nothing to do with their ability to actually support employees. And they're like, we, we can't do that anymore. A big part of being a manager is being supportive. So I think so the emotional, emotional intelligence part becomes now much more relevant. It is. And it's be, and it goes back to creating that experience, that environment where people can adapt well and do well with change. Because change, as I said, it's not that people don't fear change. We fear poorly managed change, loss, you know, loss of resources, loss of things we value. And when change hits, very quickly, employees drop into one of two models. You know, they're like, it's an opportunity or it's a threat. And the way that we think about it that way has a big influence on how we, how confident we are, how we engage in that. And I think that's, you know, going back to something you said earlier, which I really emphasize, I think a lot of when you get to more established employees that have fallen into a pattern and a habit and a routine. And by the way, that's not their fault. That's the fault of the company. The real learning oriented companies, they intentionally give employees assignments that force them to do things they've never done before. Yeah. It's a little bit like saying, look, you've done the same thing for three years and yeah, you're productive, but we want you to develop your skills. You know, they think of people very much as something that is always growing. And um, you get an assignment for a couple of years and then you move on. And this is, this is uh, for, for some people, it's scary because they, they might not be prepared, but on the other side, it is, it is the best thing that can happen because today the lifespan of, of, of a job that you have or that is relevant or that doesn't exist or that, that exists is, is shrinking, right? And when we can see this uh, so many in so many areas. And yesterday I was discussing with a, with a friend by coincidence about the service industry and uh, they're thinking to build some kind of technology that can help, uh, for example, freelancers uh, to, to, to connect and, and to provide the services. And this goes into the area of this gig economy, right? Which is also a huge, a huge topic going forward. So flexibility, the word that you mentioned a couple, a couple of times, adaptability, uh, and to have this natural let's say, um, understanding that the world is changing anyway, and you have to adapt to some extent on a constant basis. Yeah. And I think as I know, kind of, kind of sort of concluding sort of thoughts on this, as I'm just for the listeners to walk away from this, because I think sometimes all these changes and sort of, I like, as a psychologist, believe that sort of what nearly needs to happen is a change in mindset. 
And the way that I would put it is historically, the way we viewed work, if you made an analogy to building a workforce, it was like building a house. We're going to decide what jobs we're going to have in the org structure, and we're going to put people in these jobs, and they're just going to do the same thing over and over again. And then maybe at some point we'll restructure the house, right? We'll add a kitchen, but it's, it was a very static way of thinking about a workforce and work. That's the wrong analogy. The analogy we think though, is that building a workforce is like cultivating a garden. You're going to kind of think where things are going, but it's going to change. And if you don't actively manage it and encourage its growth, it's either going to die or it's going to get overgrown. But when you leave a plant, if you don't do anything with it, it's not going to be the same when you come back, <laughs> you know? And so approaching work as this idea of everyone's growing, every employee, it doesn't mean they're going to change jobs with the sense of what they're doing now is not what they're going to be doing or what they should be doing three years from now. We're constantly on every employee thinking about how are they shaping and growing and supporting that. And I think that the huge part of this, I say, is things like managers and better managers. But the other thing that is the reality, too, is you have to leverage technology for it. You cannot, especially if it's a large organization, effectively cultivate that garden, if you will, without leveraging technology. And a really good example of this is something I was talking to a, one of a, a very large automotive manufacturer, a really interesting observation. She said, Leaders of companies cannot, for example, really understand how employees are feeling without using technology. Because she said one yeah. of the things that has been leveraged heavily in COVID and other things is, as you said, having chats, bringing employees together, doing short pulse surveys, finding lots of ways to sort of measure how each person's feeling because these changes affect people very differently. Averages really don't tell us much because there is no average experience when it comes to change. So how do we understand all these changes? And she said, if you don't leverage technology as an executive, you'll have an illusion that you know what's going on because you'll be like, well, yes, I talk to people and I walk around. It's like, well, you do, but they don't talk to you in an authentic way. And you talk to a very small portion of people. The only way you can really understand your workforce is to leverage technology to understand what's going on with them. It's called a, like employee listening technology. And her point was, if you don't do that as an executive leader, you're not doing research when you're trying to understand your company, you're doing me search. Just, you know, your own view. I love that phrase. The only, the only, the only talking point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if we, if that, can... that, that, that would be my kind of final thoughts, I guess, as we get into this changing. The world of work is changing. We need to embrace it as a garden and not a house. And this is, I think, extremely relevant from, if we put it here in the context of the Middle East, there is a lot of family businesses that uh, don't have the international experience. And uh, they also now, for sure, have to deal with, with COVID, as you said, is an accelerator or a catalyst for, for change. And if we would summarize, um, what would be the key advice for, for these companies um, to, um, to manage their workforce in an optimal way is one, one thing that you said is to do this kind of pulse checks and to understand what experience they have are these people or the employees uh, feeling uh, understood and 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 somebody is caring for them and are they really uh, happy or uh, engaged right and to use also the technology uh, to the right extent uh, and not just to do the kind of me search on I talk to five people and I get an understanding on what uh, the, the company is, is, is thinking or doing. Um, and uh, another point that you said is uh, to somehow also force change to give people assignment and not to get them used to do the same job over and over again. I mean, there, there certainly are areas that might have a higher tendency 
I don't know, maybe in finance or back office or more repetitive work where you need maybe people that, that are experts, but also try to give them new, um, new type of uh, challenges to nurture this constant adaptability. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if I look at this, and to your point too, if you have a job where people are doing the same thing over and over again and they're not learning, try to automate it. You know, it's not good for people to do the same thing over and over again. It's not good mentally. It's not good physically. You know, it's good to introduce yeah. change to stretch our minds. So, you know, I think that's one that. And I think the the other technology is there's the listening technology, but also technology that enables managers to be more effective. Um, and I guess the last point too, which is a big change of COVID, which I think especially probably smaller companies that maybe not, don't think of themselves as global companies is you are now competing on a global labor market. One of the big things that's come out of this is the realization, and I talked to recruiters of very big companies that are so excited that the primary hiring criteria is no longer somebody's ability to commute to an office. To commute like, to an office. They are looking around the world for sources of talent and going, if you've got skilled talent, we're going to come and get it because they don't have to live here. They can live anywhere. And I'll tell you, when you get to the point about younger versus older, employees that are entering the workforce, that know that's how it works, they're not looking for jobs just in their city. They're looking for jobs in the world. So yeah. good news is you can compete on the world for a labor market. Bad news threat is you're competing against the world for labor. So if you don't exactly that better environment, you're going to end up hiring the people that nobody else wants. And that's not a good staffing strategy. Yeah, and if you have a talent in your company, uh, now the, the, the ability for, for this superstar, let's say, in, in, in your own organization, he can go anywhere around the world and, and, and shop for a, for a new assignment, mm -hmm. which uh, is also then get, get, getting, um, getting, a, getting a challenge. So it's always the same. It's an opportunity, but it is a challenge. And uh, I think this is a good summary for, uh, for our listeners here, specifically from the Middle East. Uh, and uh, I think, oh, I'm pretty sure we will see a lasting impact, not just in general, but also to the employee uh, market and to the uh, HR topic on what COVID brought to us. And it would be very interesting to see how this will evolve next year and, and, uh, and going forward. And definitely managing employees um, and, the, and the talents uh, you have or you need to acquire uh, is, is always very important. So Steve, um, thank you very much for this, uh, for this very interesting discussion. Um, I also met, read in your intro that you have written already two books. If somebody wants to follow you online or want to get more of your uh, great uh, stuff that you're producing, where would he uh, reach you? I would follow me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest. I post much Stephen T. Hunt on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, I post a lot of things on this topic because it really is changing and including something that's very directly relevant to this, which is how do we, there's an article I wrote on how to approach COVID as a chance to create positive change. We don't want to go back to 2019. We want to go forward to a better 2021. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 2019 is done. Yeah. It's yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. Appreciated uh, the interesting discussion. I hope for our audience and listeners, there were some good insights and learnings out of this call. And uh, thank you again and uh, talk to you soon. Hopefully, and maybe we will see us face-to-face um, uh, -face in, uh, in any time soon in the future. And to our audience, this was another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.